This is recording number 10932 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, July 3, 2011. This is the 14th message in the series titled Doctor's Gospel by Randy Bolt. This message is titled Law versus Love. Chapter 10. We have been looking at this gospel penned by, under the inspiration of, penned by Luke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as uh, the methodical, careful, um, well-researched record of the life and ministry of Jesus that a a medical doctor, a physician named Luke, wrote um, for a guy named Theophilus. And uh, so that's why the, the title, Doctor's Gospel. But, but more than that, we're really uh, interested, as a doctor might be, in hearing the heartbeat of someone. We're interested in what Luke shows us of the heartbeat of our Savior. Now, we're at uh, chapter 10. We had actually talked a little bit about the first few verses of chapter 10. I think it was about three weeks ago when we were talking about how Jesus sent out the 70. So I'm going to pass that part of the passage and ask you to join me at verse 25. Before I start reading, let me ask you a question. How many of you ever felt worried or troubled? Eventually this morning we're going to meet someone who's a lot like us then. And what Jesus has to say to her about how um, his intentions for us are not that. That he he does not intend for us to live lives that are under worry, trouble, frustration, distraction. And we're going to hear from our Savior something about how you and I can find the one thing that really, truly matters in this world and in this life. Verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying... Now, when we read the word lawyer here, we're not talking about uh, what we normally think of as an attorney um, in a court of law. Uh, This is someone who... They would have played that role to a certain extent, but this is really more a religious thing. A lawyer, as being described here, were what we often refer to as the scribes. You hear the term scribes and Pharisees. How many of you ever heard that before, scribes and Pharisees? So the scribes are equivalent to synonymous. That word is synonymous with lawyer, which means somebody who has studied the law of God. And that particularly refers to the first five books of the Old Testament uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was just, uh, that's the part of the Bible where the Ten Commandments are and, and a lot of other rules and regulations that God gave the Hebrew people uh, to live under. And uh, the scribes were ones who knew these regulations, these, re- these uh, requirements backwards and forwards. And they were the ones you went to to find out, you know, well, what does God want me to do? How, do I, how can I live a righteous life here? 
How can I make sure that I'm pleasing God in, in terms of all of the things that he's, he's laid down for us? So this guy, he gets up, and we're not told exactly the context of this confrontation, but this liar uh, gets up and he tests Jesus. And this word tests is a very strong word. This guy is out to, un, uh, um, to expose Jesus as a fraud or a fake. He is deliberately, purposefully, pointedly coming after him. And so he says, uh, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So we already know this is not a sincere question. He's posing this question purely as a way to trip Jesus up, to get him to say something that's going to expose him for a fraud. It's still, it's worth considering what he's asking because it's really twisted. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? First of all, you don't do anything to inherit. An inheritance is something that's given, is it not? I mean, I suppose you could jockey for position among your siblings or whoever else you're you know, contending with for the pot of gold there. But, I mean, really, an inheritance is not something you work for. So it's already a goofy question and shows us something of his mindset because he's coming at this whole relationship with God thing from a lawyer's perspective. What do I need to do? What T's do I need to cross? What I's do I need to dot so that I can inherit eternal life? He, verse 26, said to him, Jesus said to the lawyer, what is written in the law? I mean, it's, it's a masterful response. <laughs> Here's this guy. He's a lawyer. He's supposed to know all this stuff. He's coming at Jesus, trying to trip him up. And Jesus simply says, well, what does the law say? What is your reading of it? So he, now, now the, the, the lawyer has to respond. The question has been turned back to him. And the one who is trying to be the aggressor here is now on the defensive. So he answered and said, and he's quoting now from, from the Old Testament, from the law, from Deuteronomy. Here's, what, here's the answer to what the law says about all this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. I just, I just love this. I mean, there's this guy. He's he's undone. I mean, right? He he comes with his. He's got both barrels loaded, and he comes away empty. But not wanting to look so bad, he he says, verse twenty nine. But he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, uh, 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 and and who is my neighbor? So this is this is his comeback. And who is my neighbor? Uh, he's trying to save face here. 
And so what he does is he does a, a lawyer technique in that he tries to get Jesus to drill down to some minutia in the law and tell me, all right, well, who is my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, who is my neighbor? Is it, is it uh, the guy who lives on my street? Is it the guy who lives in the town next to me, the next door? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said to him, and now he's going to tell the story. Before I get there, uh, let me just backtrack a little bit. So the guy answers his own question, and he says, this is what you do to inherit eternal life. You love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Anything left out of that? All your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. I think that's pretty much everything. Love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And the one flows to the other. I can love my neighbor as myself because I've fallen in love with the Lord. If you separate those two things, if you take a love relationship with God out of the context, what you have, now you have a to-do. Now you have a to-do list. I got I to gotta love, love that joker down the street. But it was never meant to be that way. And that's why Jesus so masterfully drew this man to what does the Bible say? This is not about law. If I love the Lord, then I can find myself naturally loving other people. And that fulfills it all right there. I don't have to walk up some hill over glass on my knees. I don't have to spend hours cross-legged and staring into my navel. I don't, all of that stuff is, is, is off the table. It's me loving God. And because I am in love with him and he in love with me, I can love you. And that fulfills it all right there. But if you separate the loving relationship with God out of the picture, what you have then is you have a to-do list. You have law. And that's where this guy was. And so he doesn't ask to me, the most obvious question. I mean, that response that he gave, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, is weighted on that side, is it not? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. I mean, it's weighted on the relationship with God. The, the two sides of that are weighted on my relationship with God. But this guy, in his response, trying to justify himself, forgets all of that. And he doesn't ask the most important question, which is, what does all mean? All my heart. All my soul. All my strength. All my mind. That's the question you should have been asking. What does all mean? Instead, he asked the question, well, who's my neighbor? 
So then Jesus begins to tell a story. And he doesn't, as he often does, in fact, most often does, he doesn't address the man's question. He really addresses the question he should have asked. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to, to uh, Jericho. It's about a 17-mile trip, and it's downhill. It's about 3,000 feet downhill from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among thieves. So it's not stated, but because he, he is leaving Jerusalem and heading for Jericho, it's pretty clear that this guy's a Jew. And he, he gets uh, attacked by thieves who strip him of his, of his clothing wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, now um, a priest, was from the tribe of Levi. So the Levites are the priestly tribe. The priests are a subset of the Levites. So you have the priests... And, or a priest, and he uh, just passes by. This guy is laying half dead on the side of the road, and now we, we have a Levite. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan... Now, this would have taken the listeners by surprise because you would imagine that Jesus was kind of working his way to the common lay, layman, a Jewish layman. You know, priest, Levite, Jewish layman. And that's where you think this is going, and you would think, and there's going to be, you know, some, some message about, you know, the common man does what the, the religious priest won't do. But Jesus skips that, and he, and he takes them to the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. And so, this is like totally um, Unexpected that Jesus would introduce a Samaritan character into the story. And this is not, this is a parable. This is a story Jesus is telling to illustrate truth. It's not necessarily something that actually took place. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he, the, the man who's been attacked and left for half dead, was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, this is a very. <laughs> Important word. He had compassion. That word in the original language means that something was moving from his bowels. Something moved from his bowels. Now, I don't mean to be graphic, but you and I kind of know what, what that's, that's like. But something moved from the very deepest part of this guy. And he could not. The Samaritan who hated Jews, was hated by Jews, who would do anything he could to stick it to the Jews, is moved with compassion. And he cannot leave this man there. Remember that. Something inside moves him and he cannot but help himself to, or uh, cannot help himself but minister to this guy. So he went to him, verse 34, and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. The wine would have been an antiseptic. The oil would have been to soothe the pain. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. 
This guy took care of him. We don't know how, you know, I mean, what all was involved, but he himself took on the job of taking care of him. On the next day, when he, the Samaritan, departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So this is a chunk of change this guy's giving him, enough to keep him uh, cared for for uh, 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 probably about a month or so. And he says, if it costs any more, I'll be back, and I'll give you the rest. Verse 36, so which of these, now Jesus is, is questioning the lawyer again. So which of these three... Do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? So he's not asking the question, who is my neighbor? He's answering the question, what kind of person sees everybody as their neighbor? And he, the lawyer, said, well, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So this all started with this guy saying, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, well, you tell me. Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, uh, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You got it. Do that. You'll live. And the guy says, "Uh, but uh, who's my neighbor? Hmm? And so Jesus tells his story basically saying, everybody. Let your relationship with God, your loving relationship with God, so inform the heart of your life, the inside part of you, that that moves you, that motivates you to do. See, most people like this lawyer. In fact, I would venture to say most of us here. I know it's true for me most of the time. I tend to think of my relationship with God in external terms. What do I have to do out here, outside of me? What do I have to do in the world outside of me, the world-facing part of my life? What do I have to do there to please God, to be on his right side, to do the things that are going to make him do nice things for me? But Jesus was saying that comes as a result of something happens inside of me. My relationship with God. That's what moves the outside stuff, the external things. Verse 20, uh, 38. Now it happened, and it's interesting here because this it's pretty clear that what we're going to read now, verses 38 to 42, actually took place at some significant amount of time later. It really doesn't fit here chronologically, but Luke puts it here because of the contrast, because of what it reveals, because of how it fits in the flow of what Jesus is talking about here. Now, it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary. Some of you will remember Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Jesus' friends. And uh, verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary who also 
sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, when he uses that word also, it could be one of two things. It could be that um, Martha and Mary both sat at the feet of Jesus listening to his teaching and giving him a, their attention. Um, and then, then things change. Or it could be that Mary has been involved with whatever Martha. We're going to find out what all the other stuff that Martha was involved in. But then, aside from that, she also decides that this is important too. And she sits with Jesus. Either way, there's a contrast between the two. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She's concerned about doing external stuff to please Jesus. And uh, it says that she's distracted by it. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Notice that she's even questioning his compassion. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. Boy, if the Lord mentions my name twice in a row. Hmm. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. We started off this morning or this, this segment and I asked the question, how many of you ever been worried and troubled? And nearly everyone's hand went up. Martha, Jesus says, is worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. In the few minutes that we have remaining today, I want to talk to you about law versus love. Law versus love. If you live out your, or attempt to live out a relationship with God based on law, external stuff, a code that lives outside of me that I try to measure up to that squares things with God, you will find yourself living under legalism. Now, I suppose that, that goes without saying. You know, if you live uh, under the law, you're going to find yourself under legalism. But I think the point needs to be made because legalism means that um, I have to live up to every dictate of righteousness. Dear one, it can't be done. It can't be done. But anything less than Full compliance with the law is breaking the law. And that's why Jesus came. Because none of us can live in full compliance with the law of righteousness. What God, God in his holiness cannot be approached by those of us who are sort of holy. And we needed someone who was holy to cover our iniquity. And that was Jesus Christ. If you're living under legalism today. There's an alternative. 
When you live under a law kind of relationship with God, you find yourself hard-hearted. And it's amazing to me that in Jesus' story, the priest, the guy who's supposed to know God, comes upon a man who's half dead. And here's what he does in his mind. He justifies, well, he's half dead already. I probably can't help him. Besides that, whoever did that to him might still be around. They may be after me. Besides that, I'm not sure he qualifies as my neighbor because I don't know him. All of this machinations, all of this justification, and he walks right on by. Let me ask you, have you ever justified behavior you, in hindsight you knew was ungodly? It's amazing how we can give ourselves permission to do almost anything, is it not? It cre- but the problem is when we do, when we give ourselves license, there is a callousing that's forming over my heart, and I'm becoming hard-hearted. Oh, man. I, I, and the worst part of that is the hardness of heart that I end up having towards God. I want my, I don't know about you, but I want to be, I want my heart to be so sensitive before God that the slightest touch I'm responsive to, I know. The slightest whisper, I'm, I'm, I'm getting it. And every time I choose to live under law, I am exposing myself to a pathway that will harden my heart. It also leads to distraction because we begin to focus on the requirements of the law and not the one who we're trying to please. And that's what was happening to Martha. And then there's self-pity. Don't you care? Don't you care that I'm over here working so hard and nothing to show for it? Nobody who who uh, gives me any notice or helps me. Uh, Self-pity. And worry. Because see, if you live your life trying to measure up to God's standards by some external code, you'll always feel in jeopardy. Because you know intuitively you, you don't measure up. And so it exposes you to insecurity and worry and fear. And that is not the way God meant for us to live. He meant for us to live under the canopy of his love and in a relationship with him that is characterized by love. And when I do, when I decide that first and foremost, I'm going to love God with all my heart all my soul, all my strength, all my mind. It shifts me, on the, shifts me on the inside, adjusts my interior world. And that makes all the difference concerning my exterior world. When I live in a loving relationship with God, where I love Him with everything that I am, and where I allow Him to love me with everything He is, 
It brings healing to others. Others receive the benefit of that. That poor guy laying on the side of the road is really glad that a guy who had an internal relationship with God that moved him to reach out to him. And it focuses my priorities. There's no indication ever in any of the places in the Bible that Mary has mentioned that she was some sort of sluggard or sloth. When was the last time you used the word sluggard in a sentence? I should probably explain. <laughs> Somebody who's lazy. There's, there's no, no indication at all that she was just sort of, or indifferent to the stuff that needed to be done around the house. Yes, there were guests at the home and there are things to be done. And I'm the first guy to tell you I know what that's about. I hate having people over to our house. (laughs) I'm sorry to admit that, but it's the truth. (laughs) Because for days before, all I'm doing is going around noting all the things that have to be done, you know. Now, my wife, on the other hand, completely different story. We both, we both want for people who come to our home to be welcomed, well-served, have a great experience there. To me, though, it's work. To her, it's pure joy. (laughs) But that's a difference in priorities. See, she... Her priority is the people. My priority is the carpets. (laughs) Now, I wish that weren't true, but... And 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 I'm I'm in recovery. I've come a long way. It's not as bad as it once was. But a loving relationship with God, a loving relationship with God, an internal relationship with God refocuses your priorities. It really does. So Mary makes a choice. That's what Jesus says. He says, one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. There was a lot of other things that Mary could be doing But she made a choice about what was important. And that was to be at the feet of Jesus. As uh, we wrap this up today, I'm wondering if you would take uh, just a moment or two to consider where you're at on this this spectrum, law or love. And you know what? Usually it's some combination of both. Let's, we're in process here. So, but where are you on that spectrum? Are you, ask, are you asking the question, who's my neighbor? How close can I get to sinning and not actually sin? Are you asking those kinds of questions? Or are you asking the other question, what does all mean? My prayer is that 
we would find ourselves asking that one. What more can I expose of my heart, my soul, my strength, and my mind to you, O Lord? What more of me can I give to you? The most amazing thing about this is that when we choose that part, like Mary did, we find that everything he is is also being given to us.